My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. A couple quick things. Aloha. I had a Hawaiian wedding this Friday. It was awesome. It was such an amazing celebration. Uh, My wife and I have had the privilege of walking with the young man and the young lady over the last several years, and it was cute. It was just so great. And uh, so it's just, it's always fun to be a part of that. And the family had come in, and we had Lay's, and I thought, I am going to get some time and use out of this baby, because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, So the family's here. Mahalo. We thank you for that. Chemo. Yeah. Oh, wait. All right. There's Hawaiians over there. All right. Oh, you guys are here. Wow. Yeah, congratulations. I thought there was a honeymoon. That's a little later. Okay. All right. Okay, good. Uh, so, Kimo, the Sunrise Boxing uh, team, you guys went and you, we've got an Oregon uh, state. We got a golden glove out of that, right? Yeah. That's awesome, going to nationals. I'm still having a hard time, you know, Jesus loves you. Let me show you how much he loves you. Um, <laughs> but thanks, Kimo, for leading that. Um, that's awesome. You know, in, in reality, it's a beautiful expression of sharing God's love with people. I know it sounds kind of funny, but the fact is, is that as we influence our culture, as we get into cultures and groups, there are people that would never darken the door of a church. And yet they come because we as Sunrise go out and we are not a church for the four walls and inside, we're a church that reaches out. And so thank you so much for doing that, my friend. We long to hear more about that. Now, when you were a kid, a little, long time ago for some of you, you might not remember, but when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were thinking about, oh, you know, I got all these ideas, you know. I, I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be an Air Force pilot. I wanted to go, and I wanted to go into space. I really did. And that was just a dream, you know, and a lot of kids have dreams. In fact, I pulled down a list of the top 15 dreams of what kids want to be when they grow up. And so here it is. Number one, a dancer. Uh, Kids want to be a dancer. Number two, an actor, then a musician, a teacher, a scientist, an athlete, a firefighter, a detective, a writer, a police officer, and here we go, astronaut, number 10 is, uh, 11 is astronaut, 12 pilot, veterinarian, a lawyer, hmm, interesting, (laughs) just teasing, I've got some lawyer friends out there, and a doctor, isn't that great? I'd like to be a doctor. That's really cool. Uh, now I've been thinking about this because uh, my son Josiah is going away to college. What did, you wanted to be a train engineer. 
and a spy. A spy, an astronaut, and a race car driver. There's a movie in there somewhere. Okay. It's called James Bond. Okay. Moonraker. All right. Um, you know, now he says, I think I want to be a pastor. Oh, man. Pray for him. Um, what about you? Let's uh, move forward a little bit. When you were in high school, you know, when you're really a little more settled on reality and dreams and goals, what did you want to be when you graduated from high school? Or some of you made it to college. And it is kind of funny. Uh, I was in the same boat. Most of us are. We go to college with these expectations, these dreams, these desires. And then somewhere along the way, we shift majors, right? We change over and that delays us a little bit. Um, that maybe frustrates our parents. And yet, you know, we make those course corrections. But then you graduated and maybe you didn't go to college. Maybe you're still in that stage where you're trying to figure out what you want to be if you ever grow up, right? You know? What do you want to be? Well, some of you are a little bit older, and I'm a little bit older, and you begin to think different thoughts. The time ahead of me is shorter than the time behind me, so what do I want to do with the rest of my life? What do I really want to be with the rest of my life? Some of you are at retirement age, and you're looking forward to that, or you're already there, and you're thinking, I have these years left. How do I make the most of the years that I have left? Maybe you don't have that many left. How can you make the most of those years? Well, here's another question that we rarely think about. What about after your life? What do you want to be known for? My wife and I regularly run. We live out in the country, and we go on walks and runs out in the country. We have several pioneer cemeteries out where us. Our farm is out south of Hillsboro. We've got two acres, but there's a lot of history back there. Uh, if you go to some of the pioneer cemeteries, one of them we go to, the Withacombs were there. James Withacomb was the 15th governor of Oregon. His brother owned a lot of that area there. We live on that farmstead area there. And um, there's a lot of history, a lot of old trees, a lot of a lot of age, you know? And so we were just last week running and we were out there and when you look at a, a gravestone, a marker, you see the name and really nobody knows, you know? There's probably no connection anymore. There's a birthday, 1813. There's a death day, 1898. And the, the reality is this person's been dead more than they were alive, right? There's more years have passed. But there's one other very important thing on the marker. It's the dash. And that dash, that little line, represents David's entire life. We all have a day we're born. Some of the markers we looked at didn't have the birthday because Back then, in the pioneer days, you, maybe you didn't have anybody that ever recorded it. Maybe you didn't have a birth certificate, so it's just blank. But everybody knows that the day that they die is engraved on the marker. Because one day, we will all pass away. We will all have a service. I do that for a lot of families at sunrise. And we will sing songs and we'll tell stories. We'll have a video slideshow uh, we'll have those testimonies and, and we'll share God's hope and God's love. And then we'll all go to the fellowship hall and we'll eat macaroni salad. And then we'll all go home, right? It's kind of depressing. It's true though. It's life. 
And, and what you do in the dash is going to make all the stories about your funeral exciting or depressing. I've had to do some funerals for people that there wasn't a whole lot of good story in the dash. And I've had the incredible privilege of doing stories where we could have gone on for days because of the dash and how that person, that man or woman lived their life. What do you really want to be known for? I mean, I've been reflecting on this, not just because we're in the story in the book of Acts, but my own father passed away a couple weeks ago. Uh, Last night on Facebook, I saw that one of my close friends in college passed away because of medical complications. And, you know, you might be young and that's awesome. You might be thinking that'll never happen to me and it does one day. Um, And we can't affect, really, the day of our birth. We we can't. We were there, (laughs) but we can't affect it. And we really can't affect the day of our passing, our death. But that dash, God puts on us. What are we going to do in that dash? How will we live our lives? Or as my grandma had on her refrigerator, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The words of a missionary who didn't want to hang out in the sound of chapel bells. He wanted to run a rescue mission a yard from the gates of hell. What do you do with your life, the dash? I think about that. The apostle Paul in the story of Acts, has turned towards him. It's gone away from Jerusalem and Peter and those apostles and moves to Paul now as he goes along with his friends Barnabas and Silas and and other missionaries, Timothy, and they're out there like carving out brand new territory for the message of Jesus. They're going into uncharted waters. They are the pioneers of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus And towards the end of the book of Acts, as Paul is making his way back to Jerusalem after having traveled through three separate years-long journeys of missionary stories and adventures and travels, he he stands there and talks on the shore with some friends in an area called Miletus, and the elders from Ephesus had come there. And this is what he says. If I want to sum it all up, it's this. Chapter 20, verse 24. But my life is worth nothing. My dash is worth nothing unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. What is that? The work of telling others the good news, the gospel, the great news, the you can have a relationship with God news. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have peace with God now. You can have peace with God for all eternity. That good news, the wonderful grace of God brings to you. Paul says, when all is said and done, when, you know, before you eat the macaroni, you know, and then the salad and eat the brownie and have the little, you know, little rolls from Costco, what I want you to know is that I live for one reason and one reason alone. Now, he hadn't lived for that the first part of his life, but he had an encounter with God and everything shifted and we all have to have an encounter with God and everything has to shift. And Paul says, now my new direction is only one thing. I just have to tell everybody about Jesus. And if I add telling everybody about Jesus and staying comfortable, no question. Telling everybody about Jesus staying in my nice, safe place, no question. Telling everybody about Jesus not taking any risks, no question. Telling everybody about Jesus or just playing it safe, no question. My life is worth nothing unless my dash is all about telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ because the grace of God has shown up and I've got to tell everybody everywhere. And I don't want to just go 
where people have talked about him. I want to go where nobody knows about him. And we get a story today in the book of Acts exactly about that. And if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 14, and we're going to see that story. And I love it. It's exciting. It's an adventure. Up to this point, as the apostles uh, Barnabas and Paul at this point have gone out and they've talked to people about Jesus, they're Jewish believers, Jewish followers of Jesus. They go to Jewish people who believe a Jewish Bible, who hope in a Jewish Messiah. They go into a Jewish house of worship called a synagogue, and they talk to the Jewish people who believe the law of Moses and the God-fearers, those Gentiles who are also trusting in this God. But this is not what happens today. This is the first time we see a purely missionary encounter, just an unbelievable opportunity to talk to people that had no clue about Jesus, no, no, absolutely no clue about the real God. And they go in there and we get to see the adventure of what would it be like to go into a polytheistic, a lot of gods, pluralistic, that's fine, whatever God you worship, as long as we worship the same national gods, you're allowed your God, I'm allowed my gods. We just get along. We have our own idols in our home and in our city streets and well, that's fine. But now we get to see how you bring Jesus into a mix like that. I mean, how do you, how do you, today, how do you share Jesus with people from a culture that have no background in the Bible? How do you do that? How do you introduce your life and how Jesus intersected with your life and changed your course of life and gave you a new hope and passion? I think we're going to learn some really cool things today. And I just put it in the text and I put it in the sermon notes with some questions there that Becca uh, prepared for us. I like your sweatshirt, by the way. That's awesome. Lisa Last and the Lost. That's cool. Sunrise. And so Becca wrote our questions for us for this week for discipleship purposes. But I just want to, I want to frame the challenge that you and I go into in the world today with the hope that Paul and Barnabas brought the people of a little town called Lystra. So let's jump into it. First of all, we see, and we're going to see that they care for the needy. While they were at Lystra, this is in modern day Turkey, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. And that word preach means to persuade. It's not to argue in a, in a negative way, like the political way we have today, but to convince someone, to prove convincingly, to persuade someone, to get into their life and talk about the details. As Paul preached to that guy, looking straight at him, Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. So Paul called him to him in a loud voice, stand up, and the man jumped to his feet and started walking. So there's a man that's lame. Paul and Barnabas walk into the town, and what do they do? They focus on the guy that has a need that's right in front of them. That's a very important step that we don't want to forget. What we see here is a beautiful ministering of both word and deed. Let me talk about that. That's how we talk about it in church world. Word and deed. Word is when we tell people about Jesus. Deed is when we love them in the name of Jesus. And you have to have both. Paul had both. Peter had both. Jesus had both. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel stories about Jesus. Jesus goes and he heals people. He cares for people. He loves people. He preaches to people. He points them to the Father. He does the word 
the message and the deed, the action. And you have to have both. And it's one of the reasons I light up around Sunrise Church when I come through is because we proclaim the message of Jesus and we also demonstrate the message of Jesus. I was talking with a young pastor a few weeks ago and he talked about that and I said, well, here's the way we say it. You have to have redemption. And there are some of you in the room that are, that are so passionate about redemption. Redemption is the word we talk about. Redeem means to, you know, to exchange something that's of value, to redeem something. The Bible says that God did that for us. In Jesus, he redeemed us. We are his redeemed people. That means introduce people so they have an eternity with Jesus, right? That's important. So you have some redemption people in the room. We also have some restoration people in the room. Okay, you restoration people, you're all about caring for the now and today and people are hungry and people are tired and people are cold. And I love Sunrise because we wrestle with the tension of both and it is a tension. And as your pastor, I wrestle with it because some of you redemption people over here are all about, let's just preach to them and they need to know Jesus for all eternity. We're like, good, that's awesome. And I tolerate some of your, you know, emails and things like that because we can't just do that. Yes, that's eternally important. But how will they hear unless we love them? And some of you restorationer people are all about, let's feed people, let's, let's clothe people, let's keep people warm. Let's do I'm like, yes, and I tolerate some of those times because you've got to not just do that because, you know, they could go to hell on a full stomach kind of thing. You know what I mean? And so you've got to have both redemption and restoration. And I'm, the, as the lead pastor, senior guy, I've been around for all these years, I have to kind of pull the pendulum every once in a while back and forth. And sometimes we're more on the redemption side. Sometimes we're more on the restoration side. When we're more on the rede- re- redemption side, the restoration people get nervous. When we're more on the restoration side, the redemption people get nervous. And as long as I can keep both both sides nervous, I think I've won. Okay, all right? Because it's both word and deed. That's why we have our homeless shelter. That's why we have all of our ministries into the school district, into the city, into the Department of Corrections. Because, yes, we have to meet people where they are to bring them to Jesus. And so it's a wonderful opportunity. That's why I love our church, because we do the least and last and lost, but our ultimate, ultimate goal is that they find a family, a family of God, and their destiny is eternal, because we know that everybody lives forever somewhere, and we have to be about that. But what happens is we come alongside them and meet them on their moment of need, and Paul doesn't just preach a sermon to this guy. He does that, but he heals the guy. And it's amazing what happens next. When you think about the miracle, I, can I just be honest? I, I wish I could do miracles. I spent the last 12 years going to East Africa where you've got French, you've got Swahili, you've got Kenya Rwanda, you've got uh, Kurundi, uh, you've got these other languages, you've got local dialects. I was in Cuba where you've got Spanish. And, and about every time I'd pray, Lord, if you could give me the gift of tongues, I would rather just talk to them directly and understand them. But he never did. I would love to have the power to heal people. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd love that. I don't have that. Okay. Um, God can do anything. He really can. But here's what I know. I know is that God has healed us. You know, maybe we don't have the ability to do the miraculous like that. But I think God's done the miraculous in your life. When God can take selfish, self-centered, consumeristic people that's on a road to a life of destruction and turn them around and so turn them around that they pour their life, their money, their resources, their, their heart out to others. That is a miracle. 
Don't ever discount the miracle that God has done in your life. That is a testimony. In fact, I will tell you that the work we do out in our community is in many ways seen as a miracle because we shouldn't be doing that because everybody else is heading in a certain direction and we're pushing back on consumerism. Well, so we do have to love people. We have to walk with people. We have to care for the needy. But the next thing is we have to identify the deeper longings of the heart. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect. That's important. The local dialect, not a language that Paul and Barnabas understood. These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Hermes was the messenger of the gods. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bowls (laughs) and wreaths of flowers, kind of like Alay brought that, right? Add to the town's gates and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Now you can just imagine this. This is really kind of fun. There's a large crowd. And they're not only religious, they're superstitious. Their response to the healing was immediate. It was emotional. Their only conclusion that Paul was Zeus and Barnabas was Hermes. And you're like, I don't have a clue what that means. Okay, so back in the day, the Greek gods, later Jupiter and Mercury in the Roman life, but the Greek god, Zeus was the powerful god. Hermes would go with him, would go with the gods or goddesses and travel around. There is a story from history, the Lystra people told themselves, a legend, a myth, that said one day in the past, the Greek god Zeus and the Greek god Hermes showed up, and no one showed them hospitality. And so Zeus smoked the whole town, except the older couple that showed him hospitality. So there's a little bit of superstition going on here. There's a little bit of fear. What if... The gods are among us, right? The gods just might be crazy and smoke us, right? So when the citizens of Lystra, who were very religious, tied in with their fear, saw Paul and Barnabas in this miracle, they only jumped to the conclusion that was obvious. Let's sacrifice to them. Now, you think about this. And again, let's just be honest. God in a human form? Who'd be so crazy to believe that? Well, me, (laughs) for one. (laughs) Hopefully you, because God showed up in Jesus, right? That's God in the human form. But, but to do all those things, really? I mean, isn't that, isn't that kind of archaic? We call it uh, chronological snobbery, which means that the more modern we are, the more intelligent we are, the wiser we are. We look down on people because, oh, those poor people in the past, they believe such foolish ideas. And yeah, on the surface, you could say that. You really could. I've been to these areas. When you walk into a town like Corinth, there were temple buildings everywhere to every god or goddess under the sun. And you would wander in there and you would go there and you would worship your god. And you and I sit there and go, man, what a bunch of crazy, foolish people. Yeah, but we do the same thing. There's something beyond us and we all know it. Uh, When J.R.R. Tolkien wrote The Hobbit, Uh, It was received well, but many people put it in the literary genre for children. And he wasn't happy about that because he didn't write The Hobbit for kids. He just wrote The Hobbit. He just wanted to write fantasy. And so he wrote an essay in 1939. I read it about 10 years ago. It's beautiful. It's called On Fairy Stories. Now, again, culturally, uh, back in that day, the fantasy was about fairies, was a little fairies, a little little people and you know like Tinkerbell and um, 
and people had pictures. If you've ever seen some of the history, they faked them with little cutouts of fairies. And uh, Thoreau, uh, Henry David Thoreau on Walden, he believed in fairies. He, he would see twinkles in his eye. He would see little glimmers. He'd go, that was a fairy, okay? And we sit there and go, we modern people are so intelligent. We don't believe in anything like that, right? Well, Tolkien in his essay on fairy stories, he says this. Let's just be completely honest and he says four things. He says, we all want to escape time and death. We love the idea of that. Oh, yeah, I was a kid. One of my f- most favorite movies was H.G. Wells, The Time Machine. I read the book. I watched the movie from the 60s. Anytime that showed up on Saturday morning, I was watching The Time Machine. Why? The thought of going back in time. The thought of going forward in time. And then in the 70s, I met a doctor, um, named who and uh, doctor who introduced me to the idea idea of traveling through time right don't we all we still love that movies are filled with that even today the thought that we could we could escape time we could escape death he said number two we all want to communicate with non-humans we do I was in La Grande a couple weeks ago, and I was doing a men's event the next day and the next several days. So I was at a hotel, and I was running on the treadmill, and the TV was on, and it was ghost hunters. And so I thought, oh, what's some ghost hunters? I've never seen ghost hunters before. And what's all this ghost hunting about? And they've got cameras at night and hidden cameras. They show these little shadows moving in this window opening up and the paranormal and everything. Come on. We are still captivated by conversations like this, right? I mean, when I was a kid, it was close encounters of the third kind. And then it was E.T., right? We still, how many movies? We still are captivated by the, by the thought of us having a conversation with something beyond us. The third thing he says was we, we desire a love that heals every problem. That explains the rom-com. That explains the Hallmark Channel, Right? We all want that. At the end, everything comes together and all the problems go away and they find the love of their life. We all long for that. And finally, he says, we want the complete triumph of good over evil. We all know about justice and we want good to win. So Tolkien says, the reason I write fantasy is because it's in the human heart. How did it get there? Well, In our secular world today, we say, no, 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 that's ridiculous. You can't cheat death. Once you die, you become food for worms. You're gone. Okay, have a happy day, right? Uh, You can't communicate with anything spiritual because there's no such thing. There's only physical, right? There's no way that exists. Uh, The reality is, you know, life isn't happy. Life is just broken. And if you can eke out some meager existence, good for you, even if it means triumphing or treading over someone else, Darwin's survival of the fittest, strongest survives, right? Go for that. Sure. Okay. And then ultimately, there is no such thing as good. And ultimately, there is no such thing as evil. It's what every social culture creates as a construct. So therefore, have a happy life. You know, that's what the secularists believe. But you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that there is one who escaped death and that he is leading a family of people who will one day escape death. And that the reality is simply this is that there is a spiritual and we can encounter him. And we once in a garden walked with him and there is this desire. There is this wonderful desire to have love and the deepest longings of our heart fulfilled. And they can be in a relationship with God through Jesus. And ultimately, good will triumph over evil. 
And Tolkien says, if you want to wrap it all up in this essay, the ultimate desire of all of our hearts is Jesus. We just don't know how to communicate it. So he wrote the Lord of the Rings. All right. Number three. Uncover the idols. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, see, they didn't understand there. It's a local dialect, right? Uh, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We're merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Now stop for just a second. We hear the words good news, uh, the idea of the gospel to evangelize, to share the message of Jesus. As uh, Pastor Francis did such a wonderful job last week talking about this message, that when you talk about the good news, you have to have the fact that Jesus died. And how do we know he died? He was buried. And, there, you know, scriptures foretold that. Second part is that he rose again. How do we know he rose again? Because he appeared to a whole lot of people. And the scriptures talk about that. So the gospel is Jesus died and Jesus rose again. They don't even get to that, Okay. That much, much like Acts 17, where Paul talks to the uh, philosophers, okay? And so you've got you to mold your message a little bit to the culture and to the people. And he says, friends, here's the good news. You should turn from worthless things. So he's uncovering, he's peeling back the layer of the idol. You're just worshiping a worthless thing. Turn to the living God who made the heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. There's a real God, and that real God gives you real hope. It says, in the past... In the past, he tolerated those things. He permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. Isn't that good? He sends you rain. That means God loves Oregon the most because he sends us a lot of rain. And crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. See, the message is very brief. It's unlike anything Paul and Barnabas had done before, but it's still the foundation of the gospel message, and it's simply this. The reality is they didn't have the law of God. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have this whole idea of God's judgment, but they worshiped. And I would say everybody still worships because we all have a heart, and out of our heart we create idols, and we long to worship. How do you show people who don't know about Jesus, that they need Jesus, when they don't know anything about him, you build a bridge to them. And that's what Paul and Barnabas are doing. Basically, stop serving false gods and start serving the real God. His message is simply this. There's, there is a God. The God is one. Um, God is one. And, and then God is, this God is good. And this God is calling. You can share that. And that is an on-ramp to the gospel message of Jesus. Now, again, we can look around and go, but seriously, people who would sacrifice bowls and do wreath offerings and they would go worship in their temples, we're so much smarter than that today. We're not foolish like they were. Oh, really? <laughs> really? We have idols. Yeah, back in the day, you had literal stone or steel or wood, bronze idols, right? And you would go into a community and let's say you were a musician and your musician guild would have a specific idol you worshipped. You were a plumber and the plumber's guild had an idol. You worked for TriMet and TriMet had an idol. You worked for the school district and the school district had an idol. You, everybody had idols. Families had idols. Professions had idols. Your city had an idol. Your nation had idols. Idols were everywhere. Your country Ultimately, your king or your Caesar had an idol. And you would participate in that. 
one of my travels when we were in Turkey, we we're talking about that in, in a community uh, where, where it's just the simple reality is that if you were a worker and you were a part of a guild, you had to be to buy and sell to trade. You, you had to pay union dues and part of your union dues went to the worship of idols and when the time came, they would take all that money and then they would celebrate and they would offer their animal and they would sacrifice and they'd throw a wild pagan party that would make Woodstock look like kindergarten. And they would do all that. And, and how do you now as a follower of Jesus, I mean, you've you got to pay the dues, but you can't, you can't participate. Everybody had idols. Today, our idols are much more sophisticated. The reality is, Paul says, our idols are still dead, but there's a living God. Our idols of possessions or dreams, desires, people, whatever it might be, those, those are still worthless and powerless. But there's a true God. And the true God made heaven and earth and everything in it. And when we give our lives to something less than that, it's empty in the pursuit. And again, that's why I love Sunrise, because we pick up people who've realized the emptiness of the pursuit. And we pick them up and we hold them up and we reintroduce them to the true God. In a nutshell, Paul and Barnabas is saying everybody lives for something. What are you going to live for? Live for something that's real. And finally, he says, endure the hardships. And this is really hardship. And then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, <laughs> he got up and went back into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Now, before we go on, if anybody would ever play that part, it'd have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. It would have to be. It's the Terminator come to life. I mean, it's like you think you've killed him, and the little light goes on. The little hand reaches out. It's like, oh, can you imagine this? Can I just say, we are all wimps, okay? Just look in the mirror today and go, I'm a wimp. Because for you to be so willing to preach this message of Jesus... For them to drag you out of town, to pick up stones, throw them to you, that they think you're dead. Maybe you're unconscious. Maybe you've got scars. Some Bible scholars think this is where maybe Paul's eyes were hurt and he writes in large letters and he's prayed that God removes this thorn in the flesh, potentially. Okay. But the fact is they think he's dead, but he's not dead yet. He's mostly dead, right? And he's only mostly dead. And so he, some of you caught that. And so as God does the miracle, he comes back. I just love this. The rocks begin to move. Can you imagine Barnabas weeping and just in panic? And the rocks begin to move and they pull the rocks off. Paul gets up and goes back into the town. That's unbelievable. Can you say we are wimps, right? It's unbelievable. But what did Paul have that we don't have? He had this undeniable passion for the fact that those people were lost and they were worshiping gods in vain and they would die and spend an eternity away from God. And he had them, they may have never heard it again. He had to go back in the town. He had to witness for the message of Jesus. Is that the burden on your heart? Certainly was for Paul. And then the story wraps up this way. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, a Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. So small groups of believers, churches were getting started because of this. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that, that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He's not saying 
that by being beat up, we get into the kingdom of God. He's saying that if you're in the kingdom of God, be, just expect to get beat up for this message. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Now, friends, I, here's a slide I just want you to read. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ will result in some people receiving the message and some people rejecting the message. Just, that's just a fact. Don't worry about it. That's not on you. What's on you is that you share the message. There will always be windows of opportunity and windows of opposition in every heart and in every culture. Yes, you will get shut down. Don't make it because of your presentation style, because of the way you engage people. Lovingly introduce people to Jesus, the hope that we have. Set apart Christ as Lord first, though, and, and when you're asked for the reason you have, be ready to give that answer. And you live your lives in such a way that people see you and glorify God in heaven. They see your goodness and your good works and the things that you do, and you're ready. But some people won't. That's okay. I, don't give up on people. And, and, and don't just use people. Don't just build a relationship, and if they reject it, walk away. Build a true friendship with people. Because for some, it's going to take a while, many years before they really truly see it. Maybe they've never really seen Jesus. Maybe they've never really seen Jesus before and they're waiting to just examine your life and some people will never that's not on us what's on us is that we are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ and suffering is one of the ways God grows us to be like Jesus every one of the disciples suffered every one of them suffered for the name of Jesus following Jesus will cost you but you must be prepared to suffer the consequences for obedience to Christ but if you never tell anybody about Jesus then there won't be any suffering. If you just decide to live a comfortable life as a Christian and hide it and go undercover, no one will know. But you're not sharing the good news at that point. So heart moment, we're going to close with these questions. I just kind of thought, if we wrestle these thoughts to the ground, this would be good for us today. What does your faith mean to you, really? Do you just say a prayer and get into heaven? Or do you really have a faith in Jesus that he has changed you and he wants to use you? How has your faith changed you then? Is there any evidence of that? Can anybody point to you and go, man, you used to be like this and now you're like this. Wow, that's a difference. Have you given your life to what Jesus gave his life for? This isn't just some, hey, let me add Jesus to my life and get, a, get out a hell free card. I mean, this is like, I'm giving my life to it. And then finally, what are you willing to risk to share the good news with others? What are your idols? The gravestone and those markers that are out there in the country that Maribeth and I ran by are largely forgotten. I know one name because I live on a property. I know one name because I did a funeral out there for someone who's part of pioneer lineage. But other than that, all that's there is a date and a dash and a date. What will your dash be? That's what God's calling you today is make a decision that your dash is going to be something that means something, not just for you, but for other people. Because as I said, everybody lives forever somewhere, either in heaven or in hell, eternity with God or away from God in punishment. And I'm telling you, that matters. And God has specifically brought you in a relationship with people. He put you in a home. He put you in a school. He put you in a job. He put you wherever you are because the people around you need to know Jesus and you are the missionary. You are the missionary that can talk about Jesus. 
yeah, and it won't always be received. But may that be more that they reject God, not you. And then just, just don't reject them. Just keep sharing, keep loving, keep telling, keep living your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message and this passage. It's so exciting to go through the book of Acts because it reminds us what's most important in life. And as Christians in the United States, we get so comfortable and, and so lazy. And we just hold it on for ourselves and the benefits that we receive from it. But we have been given and will be held accountable as we, as we have freely received. We're, we're to freely give it out to others and tell the message to others. Convict us, move in our hearts this week as we see people that live a life far from you that we come into contact with, that we build a relationship, a friendship with, because it could be an eternal friendship, that you would give us the boldness to open up our heart to people and our mouth to people, but open up our eyes to see them first. They are all around us, and you want to do something, and you have put us there. Give us the wisdom to know what to say, and may your Holy Spirit do all of that work as we start talking and start sharing. You'll do the work, we pray in your name. Amen.